verse 20. This is the Apostle Paul speaking by the Holy Spirit. He says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. We then as workers together with him also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you. And in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the time, the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that you have a perfect plan of salvation, that the doors of salvation are wide open for us to walk through. And that, Lord, once we walk through, There's an abundant life there. There's eternal life there. There's a life with your son there. Father, we thank you. Your word says that even as we were dead set in our rebellion against you, even as we were at war with you in our hearts and by the behavior of our lives, You died for us. Lord, nothing that we did deserves such an act, an initiation by you. And, And Father, we just praise you in the name of Jesus for sending your Son. We pray that we, this morning, would just not walk away from this room without just a greater appreciation, Lord for your love towards us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So, as we're going through 2 Corinthians chapter by chapter, verse by verse, verse 20 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. Ambassadors for Christ. You know, we're given a number of different names in the New Testament, Christians are. You have names that God has given you. In verse 1 of this letter, you, if you've given your life to Christ, are referred to as a saint or a holy one. A saint is not just a man or a woman who has had the privilege of having a stained glass window erected for them in some church in Europe. A saint is anyone who has asked Jesus into their life. And some, for some reason over time, that got twisted to mean something else. You are a saint if you've given your life to Jesus. In other places in the New Testament, you're referred to as a sojourner, meaning a temporary traveler, referring to your brief stay here on earth and the fact that you're not a citizen of the earth. Uh, Actually, you're also given the name as citizen of heaven. 
You're given the name of a living stone. You're given the name of God's beloved. And there are actually many, many more. But here in verse 20, you're given the name of ambassador. You are an ambassador for Jesus, for Christ, as it says. An ambassador is a representative. Most of the countries in the world have a United States ambassador. uh, The interesting thing about an ambassador is that he or she never speaks for himself or herself. Uh, She speaks only what is the official position of the country that she or he represents. You won't hear uh, the United States ambassador, for example, in Iraq uh, say to the government of Iraq something like, okay, now we've spoken for a few hours about what the official position of the United States government uh, on how to win the war here. But enough of that. Let me tell you what I think. I think we need to find Osama bin Laden. I think we need to make him uh, a member of the, your government. And that way, the, everyone will be happy. They'll just, the war will end. Don't you think that's a great idea? No, that's not what an ambassador does. They would be yanked back to D.C., probably put in jail, too, uh, after when they got there. Uh, that's not what an ambassador does. An ambassador only says exactly what the position of his government says. Never expresses his own opinions. Also, an ambassador does not remain silent about what his country's position is. He or she declares it in such a way that there's no misunderstanding about the position or that no one's left in the dark as to what that country's position is because their ambassador makes it known. Also, and this is so important, an ambassador behaves in a way that brings honor to his country. He or she never behaves in a way that would bring dishonor to his country. So if you've given your life to Jesus Christ, the Bible says you're an ambassador for Christ. That's what the Bible says you are. Now, as any ambassador has been called to do, you have been called to represent Jesus Christ. To speak to Je- uh, for Jesus, to declare who he is and what he wants for the lives of the people around you. No one is to remain in the dark around you as to who Jesus is. And you're supposed to speak about him according to the word of God. There's a lot of people out there who have all kinds of their own thoughts, their own ideas about who Jesus is. And they're about as strange as, of, of opinions as, again, the opinion of the guy who thinks that Osama bin Laden should be, become a part of the, the Iraqi government. I mean, they're strange. Not an ambassador. An ambassador is confined by the word of God. And as an ambassador, you are never to bring dishonor to the one you represent. Like it or not, if you've given your life to Jesus, 
you are an ambassador of Jesus. Or actually, verse 20 of chapter 5 says, for Christ, for Jesus. I've always been kind of fascinated with ambassadors. Because for a number of years growing up, I lived overseas and... The American embassy, it was such a big deal. Wow, the American embassy, and wow, the ambassador. And I remember one time the ambassador's daughter went to my school, and it was like, ooh, you know, uh, you know an ambassador, and, and, and you know, uh, an ambassador's daughter. And so the ambassador, I mean, he was one important dude, that guy. He, you know, he, at, at one point... Um, well, there were a number of different ambassadors, but actually at one point, when I was a kid, I played the cello. Try to picture that. And uh, I was in a quartet, and our quartet actually went and played at the ambassador's house. In this place, man, it was like a palace, it really was. I mean, it was like playing in the king's house, and, uh, and it was just such a, 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 a privilege to be there. But wow, what a privilege to be an ambassador, And so what happened? I grew up, and I am one. Wow. Really? I am an ambassador. And not to some country that, you know, countries change over time. They, nations rise and fall. Countries switch around their borders. No, but for... Uh, uh, the country I represent is, is the kingdom. The kingdom I represent is God. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. And you're an ambassador of that kingdom. An amazing privilege to be an ambassador. Now, a really interesting thing about ambassadors. Uh, when there is a time of great tribulation, a time of war, what's the, what's the last thing that happens? Right before the war begins. Anything know what is the last thing that nations do prior to war? What do they do with their ambassadors? They call them home. They call them home. They bring their ambassadors home. Now why would a nation leave their own guy, their own gal, in a place they're just about to bomb to smithereens? They don't. They call them home. Now, prior to our study in uh, Corinthians, we were in the book of Matthew, and we spent some time on Matthew's chapter 24, 25, uh, the two chapters that Jesus talks about his second coming. Now, many of us uh, grew up, didn't hear very much about that. I never heard it a single time growing up uh, in church. I didn't grow up in churches where they really taught uh, the Word of God at all. Never heard about it. Uh, but if there's one thing uh, that Jesus is clear about in the Bible, it's, the, it's this. He He's coming back. And in Matthew 24 and 25, Jesus himself states that prior to his return, there will be a time of great tribulation. It's commonly referred to as the, uh, again, as the, the, the great tribulation. The Bible says a three and a half years prior to the return of, of Christ, there'll be a time of, of great tribulation. The book of Revelation is a chronicle of what will happen during that period. It is a period in which God will pour out his wrath upon the earth. Uh, the book of Revelation says that up to half of the world's inhabitants will lose their lives. 
On Wednesday night, Pastor Greg is going through the book of Revelation. Now, why do I bring that up, the Great Tribulation period? Well, as the Bible says, that prior to, uh, just as we talked about, any ambassador, a country always brings home uh, its ambassadors prior to the time of uh, tribulation. No different with the time of Great Tribulation in the Bible. The Bible says that God will bring his ambassadors home. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 10 says that Jesus will deliver us from the wrath to come. Why is he going to do that? 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 answers the question. For God did not appoint you to wrath. He didn't appoint his own children to wrath. God brings his ambassadors home prior to bringing destruction on the earth, prior to the great tribulation. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, We who are alive shall be caught up. The Latin for that is the word rapture. We who are alive will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Now in Matthew 24 and in Revelation, other places, Jesus discusses a number of signs which will occur in the years prior to the Great, great Tribulation. The Bible says we will not know the hour, the day, or even the season, but it does give us signs which will happen in the years uh, before the Great Tribulation. One thing that the Bible says will happen prior to the Great Tribulation is the reestablishment of Israel. Another thing is that the return of Jews from all over the world to Israel. The other is the emergence or the reemergence of Israel's dead language, Hebrew. Hebrew was totally dead language 100 years ago. No one spoke Hebrew except a, a bunch of, maybe a handful of very, very eccentric uh, men who hadn't, uh, didn't have a whole lot better to do with their time. They're doing it for a purpose, though, preserving the language. But uh, today, it's commonly spoken in Israel. The Old Testament says that prior to the Great Tribulation and the second coming and the coming of the Messiah, that dead language will reemerge. It had been dead for, I think, over a thousand years uh, prior to, like, 1940, 30, when it started, uh, came out of nowhere uh, by the stirring of the Spirit of God, reemerged. The Bible says that prior to the Great Tribulation, there'll be um, the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem. It says the emergence of a powerful European confederacy will be established. It says in the Bible that the uh, worldwide system of finance will happen. Now, a lot of these things really appear to be happening. Now, I'm not going to be, I'm not one to be dogmatic about these things, but let me just say that there's strong evidence that the Great Tribulation will be sooner rather than later. So now listen. At no time are ambassadors more active than right before a war breaks out. They're working night and day for peace. Reconciliation between their country and the country they are in. 
You know, the Bible says, again, you're not a citizen of this world, 1 Peter 2.11. The Bible says you're a citizen of heaven, Philippians 3.20. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20 says you're an ambassador for Christ to this world. And with time appearing to be short, we should be very busy, as busy as we ever have, uh, trying to bring about peace between the people around us and God, trying to bring about reconciliation between man and God. And so that is why Paul says in verse 20 of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God pleading. I don't know about you, but that's not really the picture I had of God growing up. God pleading with me to be reconciled to him. I thought he was sort of kind of just letting me play around in his backyard as long as I played by the rules. That's not the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible, as you just read in verse 20, is he's pleading with you. Be reconciled. Oh, how the Lord wants to save. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. 1 Timothy 3, 4, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of what? The truth. Here in 2 Corinthians 5.20, it says, God is pleading for people to be saved, to turn away from darkness and serve the living God, to be reconciled with God. Now, that word reconciled is sort of a long word. Some of us may not know what it means. What does it mean? It means to bring peace. It means to bring peace. The opposite of peace is what? War. War. The Bible says that prior to being saved, a man or woman is at war with God. Romans 8, 7 says the unsaved life, the unsaved mind, the carnal mind, is at war with God. Romans 8, 7. Look that up. James chapter 4, verse 7 says that when you are a friend of the world, you're an enemy of who? God. Those aren't my words. That's the word of God. Now, the average person who has uh, never given their lives to Jesus Christ does not think of themselves as being at war with God. In fact, the average fallen a man or a fallen woman tends to think of himself as a friend of God. Me and the big guy upstairs, we're tight. We're tight, me and that guy. That was my attitude before I was saved. Man, I was tight with God. He was in my corner, that God guy. He was in my corner. I'd be out swinging and boxing, and I could go back, and God's always there. There's some truth to that. But yet virtually every decision I've made in my life, I've made without any regard 
to God or his word. And if someone were to have uh, said to me, hey, Steve, you know, this thing you're about to do uh, is really the opposite of what God's word says you should do. My response would have been something like, well, you know, I know, but uh, he knows I'm human. I know he does, but that's not a reason for me to disregard, trample on, ignore, compromise his word and his will for my life. I lived as an enemy of God. I thought I was tight with God. No, I was an enemy of God. The Bible says that in Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, That word Lord means master. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is your master, meaning if you make him your master, and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, in other words, you believe that who the Bible says God, Jesus is, you will be saved. So what does it mean to make Jesus your Lord and master? It means rather than being your own master in your life with the freedom to disregard his word, compromise it, trample on it, uh, rather than having that freedom, being your own master, having the freedom to do those things, you say to Jesus, no more, Lord, you're my master, I will live by your word. Listen, the Bible says that a man or woman who has never made Jesus Lord in that way is at war with him. You may have grown up going to church. You may have spent every Sunday of your whole life in church. You may have always thought of God as being your friend. You may have always had a respect for the church, respect for the priest, respect for the pastor, respect for the Bible. What's more, you may have been your whole life a model citizen, meaning in the world's eyes, you've been an exemplary son, daughter, sister, brother, worker, neighbor. You, you may have always been the type of person who most people looked at and said, well, she, you know, she is just such a good person. He is such a great guy. He would take the shirt off his back for anyone. You may have been all those things, but if you've never given Jesus the place he deserves in your life, master, Jesus, my life is no longer my life. My life is your life. The Bible says that from God's perspective, you have been at war with him. You have been at war with God. And listen, if you die in the midst of that war, the Bible is so clear. God does not let people at war with heaven enter heaven. And God will, be, uh, will, will make it abundantly clear to you after you die that you have not been his friend. In fact, you spent your life at war with him. Jesus says in Matthew 12, 36, I say to you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. And careless words, listen, are only the beginning of what, what must be accounted for if we die at war with him. 
If we die never having made Jesus our master. Every single sin. And remember the Bible says that sin is not only lying, cheating, and stealing. It's thinking about lying, cheating, and stealing. That's a lot. We'll have to make an account for unless we've made Jesus our master by faith. Listen, God requires perfect righteousness. Even one careless word will make you fall short of the righteousness that God requires for heaven. Heaven is that good, that wonderful. There's not one sin there, not even a careless word, not even the blemish, the stain from one careless word is on someone who goes into heaven. Perfection. Jesus says, be perfect, even as your Father in heaven is, is, is perfect. That's the, that's the entry requirement for heaven. So if you're here this morning, you have never made Jesus your master. You have lived your life at war with God. You've thought you were a friend of God, but as you reflect on it, well, you've disregarded his word. When, you, when it was convenient to you, you trampled on it even sometimes, ignored it, lived a life of compromise, I plead with you, I implore you, be reconciled to God. Read verse 21. It says, For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. The Bible says the penalty for sin, what is sin? Well, the penalty for disregarding God's word, trampling on it, ignoring it, living a life of compromise of his word, is death and separation from God. The Bible calls that hell, eternal judgment. But God so wants you, uh, wants to save you from that, he's pleading with you to turn to Jesus and make him your master. Verse 21 says, he who knew no sin, Jesus, he never sinned, became sin for you, meaning he took on your sin and suffered, suffered the penalty for your sin by dying on a cross in your place, Why? So that you can become the righteousness, the perfect righteousness of God. Let's read that verse one more time. It's one of the most beautiful verses in the Bible. For he, God, made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us. That means you, that you might become the righteousness of God. Have you made Jesus the master of your life. That's done by faith. It's done by a prayer of faith. No one is ever going to be able to get into heaven by their own good works because they have all those careless words on their record among Tens of thousands of other things. The Bible says there is a righteousness apart from obeying the law because all have fallen short of obeying the law. And the righteousness we get by faith. If you've never made Jesus the master of your life, 
There'll be people up here after the service to, to pray uh, with you. A simple prayer of faith. Making Jesus the Lord and Master of your life. So in chapter 6, verse 1, it goes on, it says, We then, as workers together with him, for all you Christians out there, and you're out talking about the Lord, never think you're there by yourself. Jesus is right there with you. Why do I say that? That's what this verse says. We then, as workers together with him, Ever wonder why you get in such a head rush when you're talking to someone about the Lord? It's because Jesus is right there with you. You're in the presence of the Lord. We then, as workers together with him, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So this is saying that today is the day, not tomorrow. Today is the day to be saved, to make Jesus your master, your Lord, to pray that prayer of faith. I've heard that verse so many times as a Christian. Now is the day of salvation. Why is that? I usually hear, well, you can walk out of here today and be run over by a truck. And there is a lot of truth to that. But supremely, I don't think that that is what this is talking about. Why does it say now is the day day of salvation? In other words, you need to make this decision today. In John chapter 6, verse 44, Jesus says this, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him or her. Let me repeat that. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. That's an important verse. We'll never be able to get to hey, We're not going to get to heaven someday. And God says, hmm, that's interesting. You're here. You're saved. Why? Well, I was just a little bit more special than the guy next to me down on earth. I just had there's something kind of righteous about me that just went after you. No, no one's ever going to say that. Anyone who ever gets into heaven is because God drew them to his son. That's called grace. It's called getting what we don't deserve. That's what grace means. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. However, that verse must be read in light of other verses in the Bible, including Genesis 6, verse 3, which says this. God says this. This is God speaking. Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. He says, my spirit shall not strive with man forever. My spirit shall not struggle with man, with woman, forever. Now, God said that right before the flood, which the entire world, except for a handful of, of men and women, were wiped out. Judgment. 
He said, my spirit shall not struggle with man forever. And this, is a, the, this kind of thing is repeated by the Lord throughout Scripture. So as Jesus says in John chapter 6, God draws all men, all women uh, to himself. Uh, uh, that's true. But the Bible says that uh, man uh, fights back. So, uh, so, so he's drawn by the Father. Man or woman is drawn by the Father to Jesus. But the Bible says that man resists. He struggles with God. He strives with God. Really, he's at war with God. We've already talked about that. But again... God says, my spirit shall not struggle with man forever. There comes a point in a man or woman's life when God says, sorry, I'm not striving with you anymore. I'm done with this struggle. I'm over. Have it your way. And so that's why most people are saved. They make Jesus their Lord when they're young. The vast majority of people come to know the Lord even before the age of 20. Now, there are, of course, many, many exceptions to that. But uh, my parents were, I, I was saved after I was 20. I was 24. My parents were in their early 40s. But, uh, of course, um, uh, but it, it is absolutely true. As people grow older, their hearts harden. Ephesians chapter 4 says the, the, the flesh grows corrupt. Uh, and, and so they resist God. They resist, they resist, they resist God. The, the, actually, Jesus calls it the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Only unforgivable sin. Jesus says... You know, they had just insulted him with just words that were sort of despising to him. They, uh, blasphemy means de- saying something uh, which uh, is like a despising word to, to someone. And, and they were saying those kind of words to Jesus. He says, look, blasphemy against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But the only sin to be not, not for, uh, forgiven is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to, to say what that means. It's that life of resisting the Holy Spirit, saying no Holy Spirit, no Holy Spirit, no God, no God, no God, that that struggle. God says, I will not strive with man forever. Just this last week, I was talking with a man who is two months short of 100 years old. And oh, is his heart hard. Probably been witness to, he's got to be top five in the history of the world, this man. (laughs) And I hope he is saved, but he will be the exception if he is. The Bible says, God says, I will not strive with man forever. At at, At some point, God may stop drawing you. That's why it says... Now is the acceptable day of salvation. That should be a scary thought to you. That tomorrow, God may say, sorry, I'm done with the struggle with you. Today is the day of salvation. To you who are Christians here this morning, you're an ambassador for Jesus. You don't have to look at that big, gigantic U.S. embassy or ambassador's home in some country and say, wow, that's where the ambassador lives. You're an ambassador. 
just as much as your name is John, Sally, Robert, or Mary, you're an ambassador. Are you declaring Jesus? If not, quit struggling with God. Quit your struggle with God. Today, now is the acceptable time to begin. Are you declaring him accurately according to the word of God? Or are you declaring like a sentimental Jesus thing? Oh, God, sort of, in the, very, in the end, everyone sort of gets left in. God left his justice behind thousands and thousands of years ago. He's not a just God. Or are you accurately representing Jesus, who he is? If not, now is the acceptable time to begin. Today. And to you who have never made Jesus your Lord. You may have always thought yourself as a friend of God. The Bible says that you've been at war with God and that God loves you so much he's pleading with you. Be reconciled with me. Come to my son. He knocks at the door of your heart. Open the door of your heart. Now is the acceptable time. If that describes you, please come up after the service and pray. Pray through it. Settle the matter with the Lord. He loves you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you, Lord, for this this glimpse, this look right into your heart, how much you love us, Lord, so much that you're pleading with us for peace. What a crazy thought that the creator of heaven and earth is crying out for peace when only judgment is deserved. But that's what your word says is true, Lord. We thank you. We love you for that. We love you for who you are. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for each and every person who has given their life to Christ, has made Jesus their master in the service today. And Lord, this definitely includes me, that we, I, would live as ambassadors, that people around us would not be in the dark as to who you are, Lord Jesus, and what you want for their lives. And also that we would just talk about you in such a way that's exactly how your word talks about you. Nothing more, nothing less. Father, we need your grace for that. We ask for grace. We ask to be filled with the Holy Spirit to be those men, those women, those children And Father, we recognize that what your word says, you're not going to struggle with men and women forever. And Lord, if there's anyone here this morning who's never made you their master, they're in that struggle. They've thought of you as a friend, but your word says, Lord, that uh, no, they're not a friend. They're at war, but you're crying out for peace. Lord, I just pray, Father, that you would bring them up here today. 
to settle that for all eternity. That they too can be an ambassador. They too can be named among the beloved, your beloved, Lord. That they can, Lord Jesus, you call your children your friend. That they can really be a friend. A friend who knows your heart and who knows that you know them. Father, we pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Okay, please rise. We're going to close with a worship song.
Amen.